So we are in the second week of a series on Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And I want to start today by telling you a little bit about why Rebecca and I chose to preach on this letter. It's because there is a reality that has been affecting communities around the world. It's affecting school environments. It's affecting workplaces. It's affecting every church that I know of, including Old Pine. And this reality is that people have forgotten how to be together. And of course, I'm referring to COVID and the isolation of COVID. COVID taught us to fear physical closeness. We all isolated behind masks and computer screens. And I think what happened is that those muscles that we use to be in community weakened. And I think everybody's noticed that people are a lot more reactive right now than they used to be. I mean, just one evident piece of evidence for this is the rise in crime. Of course, that has just skyrocketed over the last two years. Nobody has a really clear uh, explanation for why crime has risen, but it seems obviously tied to COVID. So in some way that we can't totally understand, our community muscles have been weakened. I mean, one example is road rage, which people didn't even use to track road rage because it was kind of an isolated uh, event. In Austin, Texas last year, the police recorded, and this is just the instances that were reported to the police, 160 episodes of people drawing guns on one another while driving their car. And of course, we're here in Philadelphia. I don't have to tell anybody here about crime. On Friday night, just two blocks away from here, another young man was shot to death on South Street. And because there have been almost 400 of these deaths this year, this one barely made the news. So it seems like we've forgotten how to be together. Things that used to slide off our backs are now triggering violent reactions. And what Rebecca and I have seen is that even here in our lovely community, a lot of people feel exhausted and are more reactive than they used to be. Here's a little bit of helpful news. You're not alone. Community has always been difficult, even in the best of times. It takes effort to be with people and to love them well, to accept people who have different ideas than you do, to tolerate and even empathize with people who trigger you. That's always been hard work. And so we wanna tell you a little bit about the church in Corinth, not because it's a model of healthy community, quite the opposite. It's because of how dysfunctional the church in Corinth was, how much they struggled to love one another. They had so many problems, the biggest of which was simply that they couldn't get along with one another. I mean, let's pretend for a moment we're in Corinth and you're talking to a friend and your friend says, would you like to come to church with me on Sunday? Sure, you say, what's your church like? Well, we fight constantly. We don't trust each other. People within the church are actually suing one another in court right now. These are all real examples. People get drunk at the communion meals. Our rich members are trying to alienate our poor members. Basically, we all judge each other because everybody thinks that they know how to do church and anybody who disagrees with them is wrong. Great, you say. What time should I arrive? (laughs) No, of course, you'd run in the opposite direction. That was the church in Corinth. But there's a silver lining to this tragic story. The silver lining is that because they had so many problems, we get to see how Paul responded to them. And therefore, this letter becomes a roadmap for us today for how to deal with community problems in our own congregations. 
Now, I'm going to give away the ending to every sermon I will preach in this series right now. In every situation, what we'll see is that each problem, no matter how different, has the same solution, and that solution is the gospel. Paul will bring these fighting Christians back time after time to the good news of Jesus Christ, and this is what we're going to see again and again in this letter. So are you ready to dive into the dysfunction? We're going to begin by looking at a problem that affects, I think, most churches, and this is a problem of leadership. Who's our pastor going to be? What if we don't like our pastor? What if he or she does things that annoy us? You guys are very quiet right now. I don't know if I should, wondering what people are thinking. Okay, you see, Paul had founded this church, but he didn't stay in Corinth. And after he left, different leaders entered the picture. All of them had different teaching styles. Now, this is a really important point. They had different personalities. Their styles were very different. Some were more charismatic than others. Some were more attractive than others. Some were better preachers than others. And what happened in this church is that factions were formed. One group of Corinthians followed a teacher named Apollos. They just loved the way Apollos preached. Other people didn't like Apollos, and they found a teacher named Cephas that they thought was really a great preacher. Of course, there was a faction that remained loyal to Paul, and they were angry at these other factions. Now, here's a critical thing about this. What we can gather from the available evidence is that the messages of all these teachers were basically the same. Paul, Cephas, Apollos, they were all faithfully teaching the gospel. And we know this because Paul, who often complains about poor teaching, never says he has any reason to question the teaching of Apollos. And in fact, in the book of Acts, we read that Apollos, quote, spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Likewise, Paul never questions Cephas's teaching of the gospel. And what that tells us is that all of these divisions that are tearing apart this church are not based in substance, they're based in style. These Christian brothers and sisters are forming factions that are tearing their church apart, not on the basis of what they're saying, but purely on how they're saying it, on how attractive and charismatic these messengers are. My teacher is better looking than yours. My teacher is a better preacher than yours. So let's look at at what Paul has to say about this. This is from, we're still in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. This is verses 10 through 13 and 17 and 18. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by closed people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters, What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. 
Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts on this, your holy word, be acceptable in your sight and life-giving to us and through us as your people, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you were listening closely to those words of Paul, you may have noticed that Paul makes a kind of a, kind of a confession in this passage. Basically, he admits that he's not a very good preacher. He says, God sent me to preach the gospel, but not with eloquent wisdom. And this is actually not the only time Paul says something like this. He's very effacing in his letters. At one point he said, I am untrained in speaking. In another letter he said, my bodily presence is weak. Now what Paul is doing on one level is he's contrasting himself with these very attractive, very charismatic preachers who have come after him in Corinth, people like Apollos, people like Cephas, we might imagine they're like the Joel Olstein of their day. Handsome, well-spoken, funny. Well, Paul says something very interesting. He says, you know, there's actually a reason God chose me as unattractive and unimpressive as I am. It's so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. In other words, my charisma is not what you should be thinking about. My physical appearance is not what you should be thinking about. If I were handsome and funny and charismatic, you might get the idea that I was the one who needed to be worshiped. But look at me, I'm nothing. Christ is everything. It's the message, not the messenger. In fact, Paul even criticizes that faction that did remain loyal to him. I mean, this is, I think, a pretty good sign of Paul's spiritual maturity because most preachers would be pretty grateful that there was a faction that remained loyal to them. But Paul criticizes them too. He says to his own supporters, I'm not the point. You weren't baptized in the name of Paul, were you? You were baptized in the name of Christ. That's where your focus should be. Now, here's my question to you. Is it possible that there are churches today in which people focus on the pastor and make it all about them? I think by the chuckles that I'm hearing that the answer to that question is yes. You may have noticed that we are living in a time of church scandals. There are podcasts and documentaries that you can find right now all about all of these scandals, the stories tend to really basically be all the same. There's a charismatic preacher who becomes kind of a celebrity. He, and it almost always is a man, he amasses a huge following and then he begins to indulge in all the trappings of fame, the private jets, the expensive wardrobe, power over the lives of not only his church members but also his staff. And then of course there's the inevitable fall from grace, the sex scandal the psychologically abused staff members, the mismanagement of church resources to fund these elaborate lifestyles. Well, you see, this is what happens when churches focus on the messenger at the cost of the message. Here's one of the funnier examples. There's an Instagram page, hashtag preachers and sneakers. You can look it up, not right now, but after the sermon's over. You can look this up. It's dedicated to exposing the expensive wardrobes of these celebrity ministers. It is shocking. These are no exaggerations. They have photos of preachers wearing $2,000 sneakers, $5,000 designer jackets. Many of these examples. 
And every time this happens, of course, the outside world loses trust in the message. And that's the really tragic thing. You know, they see these flawed messengers and they disregard the gospel. How could it possibly be true that God loves me if these are the people that God chooses to preach his word? Now, there's two ways you can look at this. You can certainly blame these celebrity preachers. I think it is shameful what they do. But I think you have to also question why they get these huge followings. It would seem that there are a lot of people out there who are kind of like the Corinthians. They want charisma. They want celebrity. I mean, they certainly don't want somebody like Paul, who was, of course, a genius, but not a very attractive human being. Paul says something here that gets right to the heart of the message. He asks the Corinthians, has Christ been divided? It's a heart-wrenching question because he's addressing this community that has turned against itself, and he's asking them a simple question. Can you divide Christ? If God is one and you seek to serve God, then why are you not one as the body of Christ? Why do you judge one another? Why do you choose to let petty disagreements sever the profound spiritual connection that you have to your brothers and sisters in the spirit of Christ? I mean, he's practically begging. Can you be charitable with one another? Let me tell you how one church dealt with this problem in what I think is a healthy way. There was a church in New York City that had a very famous preacher. I will not name names in this sermon. He was a very fine preacher, and he was not seeking to be a celebrity because he was a very humble man. But he was indeed talented, and his sermons began to draw hundreds and then thousands of people to church on Sundays. This church would always advertise in advance when he was preaching and when he was traveling or on vacation, and they began to notice something. When he was away and other pastors preached, church attendance plummeted. And the staff began to fear that this church that they loved was becoming a cult of personality. That people liked one person, the preacher, that he was their way to experience God. Meanwhile, most of them had very relatively little attachment to one another. People, other people sitting in the pews, they didn't want to come to church to see their sisters and brothers, to pray with one another, to care for one another, to listen to one another, to serve the needy with one another. They just wanted to be entertained by a really good preacher. And so this church, because they did have a healthy staff, decided to make a change. They stopped advertising who would be preaching the following Sunday. Here's what happened. Church attendance dropped. Because many people said, the only reason I come to church is to hear this guy. If I have to come and I find out he's not here, I'm not coming back. But the ones who stayed grew closer to one another. Because they started to focus on the message not the messenger. Now here's the good news. The message is always the same. It's the same for you as it was for the Corinthians. The message is that the radical is the radical good news that God loves you despite your sin. The message is that you are saved not because of anything that you have done, but for the sole reason that God is merciful. Messengers will come and go, but the message will always remain the same, and it will transform your life if you let it, no matter whose mouth it is coming out of. In fact, you can hear this message in rich churches and in poor churches. You can hear it in cathedrals and you can hear it in prisons. You can hear it in hospitals. You can hear it in nursing homes. 
when you walk into a new church for the first time, the thing to watch for is not the wardrobe of the pastor, but whether the gospel is being communicated to you. So what does this mean for us here at Old Pine? Well, we have a wonderful church, but I think it's true that we too are having to learn how to be together again after the isolation of COVID. And so what I would encourage you to do for the sake of all of us is to pray. Go directly to God. One of the most powerful insights of the Protestant Reformation is that you don't need a priest to advocate on your behalf to God. You can go directly to God, and in the words of Paul, you can work out your salvation in fear and in trembling. So don't focus on me. Don't focus on Tom. Don't focus on Rebecca. I mean, we do the best we can, but we're not Christ. I want to leave you with a wonderful quote, which is also in our bulletin, from Bruce Lee, and this is just to say that truth can come from many places, including martial artists. Bruce Lee had a wonderful saying. He said that when you see a finger pointing at the moon, don't focus on the finger. Because if you do, you're going to miss the moon in all of its heavenly glory. Let's pray. God, we confess that it is so easy to be distracted from the path of healing that you put before us. As you come to us in your endless mercy, Focus our minds on the cross of Christ and on it alone, that the power of the cross would change us from the inside out. Strengthen our community muscles so that we can be less reactive with one another and more loving. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.